Welcome to the Sleep Mums A to Z's, or as I've recently been doing phonics with my daughter, perhaps I should say A to Z. This brand new series from the Sleep Mums is a wild ride through the language of parenthood from Mama Karma to the grandmother. No offense to my mill. I'm Kat Cuby, presenter, broadcaster, and my Mama Karma is forever biting me on the bum. And this is Sarah Carpenter, child and baby expert and totally zen sleep maker. Are you feeling zen this morning, Sarah? <laughs> I'm not sure I'd go that far this morning. <laughs> Together, we are the Sleep Mums. This week, our letter is T for twins. Most weeks, you get a twofer with Sarah and me, but this week we have an extra special guest. Award-winning blogger from Not Another Mummy blog, top-charting podcaster and twin mama, Alison Perry. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. We're delighted to have you. I, I feel a bit silly black because we were talking about where you come from. So what's your name, love, and where'd you come from? <laughs> Sorry, the ac- accents aren't my strong point. <laughs> so um, where am I from? So and we were just talking, weren't we, about how I grew up in Scotland. And about 20 years ago, I moved down to the southeast of England, um, where I live with my husband and my 10-year-old daughter and um, two-year-old twins. So toddler twins, right in the thick of it. Um, and there's never a dull moment. <laughs> we might all go a bit Scottish, Rabsy Nesbitt. Exactly. Yeah, I, I quite often slip into a bit of Sean Connery. I, I don't know why that's my go-to Scottish accent. You do, actually. <laughs> so uh, as said, Alison is mama to 10-year-old Grace and your two-year-old twins. Is it Ayla and Eva? It is, yes. But you've also sort of got another baby coming out this month, don't you? I do, I do. I have my my fourth baby um, birthing, um, which is my book, OMG, It's Twins, um, which is, I guess, the best way of describing it is a guide through the emotional and practical roller coaster of having twins from the moment that you find out, and you probably are thinking OMG, um, through the pregnancy, the birth, and um, it really covers the, the, the fourth trimester, but it also touches upon things that are further ahead so um, there's a bit of advice in there about weaning and about um, when your twins suddenly are on the move and you know going on holiday not that we've been going on many holidays recently but holidays remember them (laughs) (laughs) I know remember back in the day um, but the whole stress around you know packing and the the, um, logistics of of, you know going on holiday with twins so there's it's jam-packed with with advice and help and support really it sounds brilliant. I just talking about holidays. I, I remember a pal before we went on our first sort of family holiday and um, him saying to my husband, basically, it's parenting somewhere different that's less convenient and much more stressful. <laughs> that is so true. I think once you've wrapped your head around that reality, you can probably get some enjoyment out of a holiday. But if you go on holiday expecting it to be like pre-children holidays, you're going to be really disappointed. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of like, in general, just lower those expectations, then you'll have a good time. Yes. <laughs> but perhaps we should go back to the start. You mentioned, obviously, um, what the book is about, but how did you feel when you found out you're expecting twins? I was utterly gobsmacked, and I think more so because, um, so a bit of backstory, we had had IVF 
And so as part of that IVF process, um, when we had a positive pregnancy test, the clinic invited us back for a six week uh, checkup, a scan, like an early scan, just for them to check that everything was, you know, ticking along nicely and that things were where they were meant to be and all of that kind of stuff. So at six weeks, we went along to the the private clinic that we'd had the treatment at and the consultant, who's clearly very experienced, like, you know, this lady kind of, she's been doing this a long time and she's very good at what she does. She scanned me and she said, there we are. There's the sack. There's the heartbeat. Everything's fine. We were just like relieved, like, oh, my goodness, thank good. You know, it's so good. It's so nice to be able to to know early that things are fine because you know what it's like quite often up until that first scan at 12 weeks, you are nervous, you're worried. And it kind of, it feels like you're building up to this moment where, you know, somebody, you know, a health professional says to you, things are looking okay. Um, so that was fine. So we spent kind of five weeks or so feeling like, oh, it's okay. And I was in the throes of morning sickness and um, went along for the regular, you know, um, first scan that everyone has at 12 weeks and um, jumped up onto the uh, the bed and um, the sonographer was just making conversation and she was saying, oh, is this your first scan? And we're like, no, no, we've had one already. Like, <laughs> you know, this this is just a formality, really. Um, and she said, oh, so, um, so it's just the one then, is it? And we were like, yes, 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 it's just, just the one baby. And she started scanning me and she kind of, she kind of looked at me a bit confused and she said, sorry, you were, you were told it was just the one baby. And my husband and I sort of looked at each other and we looked at the screen. And I don't know about you guys, but whenever I look at those screens that have, you know, the, the image of, you know, that the, the sonographer is capturing, it doesn't look like anything to me. It's just blobs. It's just moving. Totally. Like blue bits and white bits and blah. And the word vague two blobs, but could it be anything? Could it be what I had for my lunch? I don't know. And um, she said, there's two. You're, it's twins. <laughs> we were just like, what? And we, uh, my reaction was just giggling. I just got the giggles. It was like that proper <laughs> kind of nervous, I don't really know how to react here, so I'm just going to laugh. And my stomach was like really shaking from laughing and she was struggling to carry on <laughs> scanning. And I was like, I'm really sorry. And um, yeah, it was just, it was proper nervous laughter. Just trying to wrap her head around having spent five weeks being quite smug and being like, it's just the one baby and it's everything's fine to throwing that curveball right at us. So absolutely sort of no expectations that it might happen. Well, well, um, yeah, the thing is that when you have IVF, quite often, the, well, you know, the, the, there is often the option of having two embryos or more embryos put back in. And the advice varies depending on your age and the, the, the quality of the embryos and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and we did have two embryos put back in. Um, and so the, they always say to you, this does carry a risk. And at your age, you know, these are the risks involved. And um but having had that in that first scan we were pretty confident it was just one so it it, it was it was a real shock moment i've i've heard i don't know if this is just anecdotal because obviously you know there are lots of stories around um pregnancies and births and things but um of folk you know not knowing they were having twins until quite late on is is that just 
you know, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> you, did you speak to many people who um, either didn't know until kind of later <laughs> on or maybe even the birth? No, I think that because, because I mean, I think back in the day, I mean, I've spoken to a few people who said my mum had twins and she didn't know. And I think that, you know, kind of 30, 40 plus years ago it was definitely a thing that as the as the woman was giving birth it was like oh here comes another one um but these days you know with scanning I mean I've just told the story about where the they missed it that it was twins during a scan but <laughs> usually usually they're pretty they're pretty hot on this stuff <laughs> it's funny actually my mum um with my my sister they said to her without scanning her we think it might be twins because she was so big they literally just did it on size and um, mm. it she wasn't twins <laughs> but can you imagine if folk went around just at, you know particularly with pregnant <laughs> bellies always being kind of something that's so personal and so so varying being like oh you're you're, you're definitely having twins or triplets yeah yeah i mean thing is with with twin pregnancies you quite often get a lot of comments anyway and you know people saying to you oh double trouble and you know you're gonna have your work cut out for you and, and also then when when the when the babies are here you know walking around with a double pram so many well-meaning grannies stop and say you know oh, you got your work cut out for you um and it's like you know you know that they mean well and quite often they're, they're just trying to think of something to say to have a bit of a chat but it does leave you feeling a bit like it's not the end of the world having twins is you know it's it's not horrible it's not a bad experience it's it's not double trouble yeah I think there's I mean we talk about that a lot like what are the worst or the hardest things that folks say to you when you are a twin mama I guess yeah I think it's it's those sort of things is that kind of especially when you're pregnant and you don't know what's ahead and quite often you want to you want to have a positive mindset and you know that there are challenges ahead of you but you don't necessarily want them pointed out to you um you know by the lollipop lady or by the you know the lady in the corner shop um <laughs> or you know you're going to go for, even if you go for like you know for a checkup at the GP quite often like the doctor receptionist will make some comment and they don't mean anything by it but it can be it can be a little bit tricky when especially if you're having a bit of a knackered hard day basically don't say anything to a pregnant person <laughs> just, just nice yes. things Soft, gentle. Do you want a cake? Can I take your bag? Those are the only things that you should say to a pregnant person. You've experienced, you know, having having a, a single child and twins. So you're you come at it from a, a very experienced place. Um, I guess so. I guess so. Um, you know, and I and I've spoken to um, quite a few women who have had multiple sets of twins. And I, so I feel like they're, you know, I, I've, I've got a couple of friends who've got two sets of twins and one singleton. And I feel like, oh, my goodness, they're, you know, super, super mums. Like they know what they're doing. I think non-twin mums sort of look at, you know, I definitely feel like that when I look at twin mums, which is maybe the thing that we're talking about, folks saying uh, to, to you, oh, you've got your hands. But you do look at folk who have twins and go, wow, I mean, you really are <laughs> super, super mum. So obviously you had your um, first was a single and then you went on to have multiples. So how different is it parenting multiples over a single child? Um, I would say that in all the kind of obvious ways, it's harder. When they're little, you only have one pair of hands. And so having an extra person there to help is always useful. 
and it can be quite hard to you know I've got toddlers now and it's it can be quite hard to kind of juggle their needs so thinking about well you know you you need this right now but the other one needs something else and so just trying to juggle that off but then I guess that's probably the same as having multiple children that are kind of similar in age so having you know two under under fives or whatever um but for me, I found having twins second time around much easier than having my eldest. Um, and I think that was just a, an experience thing. I think that the first time I, when I became a mum 10 years ago, it was just, it, I, I was completely thrown. I didn't know what I was doing like so many of us. Um, you know, I was kind of plodding through life, feeling like quite self-assured and quite like, I know what I'm doing in life. You know, I know what I'm doing in work and I'm sorted family wise and everything's fine. And then all of a sudden I had a baby and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Ah. Um, and I suffered from PND back then. I think it's so multi-layered as well because it's like it's not just I don't know what I'm doing but I don't know who I am and also you know if you are experiencing postnatal depression or anxiety there's that other level of not feeling yourself and feeling quite alone in that I think as well. Definitely yes um, yeah it's so multi-layered it's so multi-layered and I think that um that left me feeling quite inadequate as a mum and quite kind of it left me with quite a sort of negative impression of motherhood and I I kind of knew as the years went on and we knew that we wanted to have another one that it would probably it would be different and it was and just having had that experience and being a little bit more chilled out second time round, and even with two babies screaming at me having that kind of Oh, I remember this from last time. Right, let's try this. And you know, you put you put one in a sling, you know, wrapped to you, and just pace around the house. And I'll do the thing with this one, and we'll see if that works. And rather than having that kind of stressful anxiety moment where you're just like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. It's like, oh no, no, hang on a minute, we can sort this, we can sort this. So for me, twins second time round was was much easier. It's quite interesting because I've got a buddy who had uh, a single child and then had twins latterly like yourself. And I always thought that must have been really tough because you have one and you're like, oh, it's a squish one. And then you have two and you're like, oh, my goodness. No, but actually what you're saying is that you have that experience, but also the challenge is so great that you just have to get on and do it. So maybe there's less, less thinking time. I think it's, I mean, as with everything, it just depends on on the individual situation, the child, you know, what state of mind you're in, what your situation is. I mean, so many things. So all I can, all I can share is my, my experience really. Totally. And that changes on a day-to-day basis, I think for most parents as well. Yeah. Sarah and I are really excited to tell you about our brand new sleep club. Six weeks of expert sleep classes, support and answers to help you and your baby get more sleep. Sleep Club is for anyone who has a baby under 12 months who would like access to support and guidance across the big sleep topics, as well as crib notes, age-appropriate schedules, a community of like-minded parents, and a WhatsApp group with me and Sarah. Join the list to find out full details, early doors, I mean before anyone else, not like five in the morning, by sending us an email, hello at thesleepmums.com, and just put Sleep Club in the subject and tell us the age of your baby. Go on. Join the club. 
Sarah, you've helped lots of like twin families with sleep. So I just wanted to talk a wee bit about sleep because that's one of the things that blows my mind. You know, you get one to sleep and then the other one wakes up. How how was sleep for you with your twins? I think we've been lucky on the whole. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not like, you know, they've slept brilliantly from day one. But we did that thing where um, we had them sleeping together for the first few weeks. And that seemed to really help. So they were they were they were small enough that they could go into. um, We had one of those bedside cribs. Um, so it's not as big as a, as a full size cot, but it's not it's not like a you know it's not as small as some of them. Yeah, um, and they fitted quite nicely in there, and that seemed to really settle them and help them. But they could both fit in there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were tiny. They, they were born at thirty six weeks, and they were like four pounds. So, so they were they were little. Amazing. Yeah, and they they just seemed to like they, you would put them in, and their their noses would just be touching, and and they would fall asleep, and it would Aww. just they were clearly so happy and settled. And the thought behind that is that they're so used to hearing each other's heartbeats and being, you know, together yeah. in the womb that it really helps them when they're first born. So we did that. And, um, you know, we, we, we had moments where we've had many moments where we'd be up in the night with one. And like you say, you know, she falls asleep and then the next, you know, 10 minutes later, the other one wakes up and you just feel like you're on this never ending cycle of sleep doom. Um, But I would say on the whole, we've been fairly lucky and we've got, so right now they're two and a half, coming up for two and a half and they sleep fairly well, apart from just the odd wake up, which all kids have that, right? Even as they're getting older. Um, All humans. Exactly, exactly. But they sleep from like seven at night until roughly seven in the morning and they're still napping. They still have like a two hour nap at lunchtime, which my eldest by, by now had dropped. So we were just like, this is so good, you know, and they love it. Like we say to them nap time and they drop whatever they're doing. <laughs> And run up the stairs, and we're like, "This is so good." What did you do? So good. So yeah, we're, you know, and I, I I kind of feel like almost bad when I share that information because I know that so many parents struggle with the whole sleep thing, and so I don't want to rub it in or make it seem like we're being quite smug about it. But it is the reality that some people have an okay time sleep-wise with their kids. So, <laughs> But it's also nice for people to hear the positive stories as well, especially when people are experiencing yeah. the pregnancies. It's nice for them to have that little bit of hope that they might actually land the twins that sleep or the triplets that sleep. So it's not a bad thing to share the good stuff. Or the baby that sleeps. <laughs> <laughs> True. Sarah, what's your experience of, of twin families? Because I know you've worked with quite a lot. Yeah, I've been really lucky, actually. I've worked with um, lots of twin families in Scotland and um, lots of twin families in Australia and New Zealand as well. I did a couple of years out there and helped with quite a few over there. So um, the advice in the two different countries is very, very different. Obviously, over here, it's much more routine-based. There's that need for people to get into a routine very quickly and really go after sleep in a very positive way. Um in New Zealand especially, it was much more laid back and, you know, just knuckle in for the rough ride and accept that you're just going to be up lots overnight and this is your time and you just have to get on with it. So, um, you know, we're going back, God, 15 years probably since I worked there, so it may have changed quite a lot. But, um, but yeah, it, ha- it has been really interesting. I guess 
my top piece of advice would always have been to try and get them into the same routine until you're starting to see one really shine through with their own sleep pattern and then obviously you do want to let that one or two depending on how many you've got run with their own sleep patterns so that you're not missing the moment when they can actually get more sleep and sleep through a little bit longer um but yeah I think if it was me I'd definitely be seeking quite a tight routine um just to get me through so (laughs) but I I guess that's a wee bit like what you're saying as well Alison in some ways that you know that that if you get into a good routine or or that you have good um a good setup then they can almost encourage each other they run up the stairs like yeah yeah it's like a team thing definitely and I also think that there's something to be said for the fact that um with with my with my eldest we used to put her down for a nap and we would creep around the house and I wouldn't flush the toilet and I would you know be you know making a sandwich but like really carefully putting the plate on the table and you know um and with 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 the twins um I think they've just got so used to there being noise and like last night for example we put them down at 7 p.m and one of them was singing away in her cot clearly not going to sleep but the other one I could tell had fallen fast asleep and she was just sleeping through this her sister singing away about baby shark or whatever it was she was singing <laughs> and um and yeah so I just thought that it, it's quite nice that you you know to have that have that ability to be able to sleep and you're not having to create this super silent false you know situation for them to be able to sleep in yeah I think that's really important I remember someone saying to me you know with with your first that you have to create a family but with any future children they are coming into a into a family that already exists so that it's it is different from that point of view um and and part of that a big part of that I think is noise because actually we all like a bit of background hum that's why you know white noise and all that works we like you know it takes our mind off things and I remember the same I'm you know being being a kid and hearing my my parents watching tv or something find that really comforting that idea that there was there was someone nearby and I'm sure that's you know having a sibling singing baby shark might be a bit annoying but also also quite comforting (laughs) too So I did a wee bit of research before this pod and there are surprisingly few books on twins. It's almost like, you go, well, well, there's books for babies. So, you know, if you're having more, just here you go. Um, which seems so it seems crazy because it must be so hard. But maybe, you know, like you're saying, oh, you've got your hands full. Maybe you get a bit pissed off with people being like, oh, twins must be hard. <laughs> it seems like your new book is really, really needed. Uh, I'd like I'd love to know some more about it and how did it come about? Um, I mean, I guess really it came about because it's the book that I wish had been around when when my twins when I become, was pregnant with my twins. I, you know, like I've said to you um, already, all I can share is my own experience. So I I'm not an expert in twins and I don't profess to be an expert in twins, but I really wanted to create a book that has loads of experiences from different twin mums. So I interviewed, I think I probably interviewed over 30 twin mums about different experiences that they'd had. I really wanted to try and cover off as many kind of eventualities and possibilities as possible. And um, I also interviewed about 30 or 40 experts as well. So psychotherapists, midwives, doctors, and pelvic health experts, like, you know, everyone that you might want to hear from in this kind of book. 
Um, and knitted it together with my own experience. And um, hopefully the, the early feedback from people is that it it really is a kind of comprehensive guide. But it's not just the practical stuff. It's, you know, I think twin books of old and also just parenting books of old were very much, you know, like written by a doctor. And, you know, this is what you should expect from the first appointment. And this is what you'll be asked. And these are the foods that you should avoid. And, you know, all of that is so helpful and that is included in in omg it's twins but i really felt like what we needed was that emotional side so how you feel when you find out that you are having twins how you're processing those feelings um it's okay if some of those feelings are negative and how to kind of sit with those and not kind of just brush them onto the carpet um you know all the way through to mentally preparing for the arrival of these twins as well as practically so you know the double buggy that you want to buy but also getting your head around what is this going to look like and what support do I need and who should I be speaking to around you know my friends and family and what kinds of things can I be asking them to do for me once the twins arrive um so yeah hopefully it is a real comprehensive guide to the emotional and the practical side of having twins I think that's so important. That's totally what we want, you know, what we do in terms of the sleep mums as well is that, yes, we can talk knowledgeably about sleep, but the emotional side is such an important thing. And as you say, different days, different feelings, and you have to kind of go with that because you can't just have this um, very prescribed this step, this step, this step, and everything will be fine because it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. That's so true. That's so true. Because the babies don't read the the instruction manuals, so they they they're not necessarily on board with what you want them to do. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, not. So you've just said that you um, have talked to lots of different experts about you know your experience and their experiences. But what was the best piece of advice that you were given? And now that you've obviously you're t- almost two and a half years in, is it the same advice that you would give to somebody else? Um, I think for me, the best piece of advice um, that I was given is funnily enough about sleep. And it is not to view sleep as something that has to happen between like 10 p.m. and 7 a.m. And when I um, became a mum first time round, I really struggled with that. And I would really feel quite panicky if I'd only had maybe three hours sleep. And, you know, we were given the advice, sleep when the baby sleeps. And I found that a really hard thing to do. Um but second time around, I really made myself try and get pockets of sleep throughout the day whenever I could. I bought myself one of those sleep masks um, to block out the light. And um, I would just set my alarm for in an hour's time or an hour and a half or whenever I knew I had to get up and, you know, uh, take over again. Um, and it really helped, I think, just having those little bits of sleep that I could get throughout the day. Because otherwise, I remember just feeling absolutely loopy, just that whole sleep deprivation. It, you know, it clouds everything else that you're doing and it it just makes everything else feel so much harder. And that really, really helped. Yeah, I think I think that's really good advice. It can be hard. I'm a horrible napper and I found it so difficult to to take myself to bed and, and you know, sleep when the baby sleeps. Um, but uh, for me, similarly, I have to kind of almost get into my pyjamas, put a mask on, like go through the routine, my own bedtime routine, if you like, of being like, this is sleep time. I'm not someone who could like 
you know, catch 20 Zs on the sofa or something like that. But as you say, kind of banking these wee bits can make a real difference as well. Yeah, yeah. I think as well, it's really important for people to take the pressure off themselves, even if they do, you know, like you're saying that you're a terrible napper, but it's like just setting aside that time to even just go and lie down. And if you don't sleep, don't then get stressed about it but at least you've given yourself a little bit of a recharge in a dark room I think we're all guilty of you know well I know that I am anyway especially if I've got a night off I become completely obsessed with trying to get to sleep because I'm like I I need to bank a week's worth of sleep in one night and then I don't sleep so I think yeah just you know a quiet time is just as important as sleeping time. There's that psychological study isn't it that they um sorry this is a bit of a segue (laughs) but they you know they they connected it to sleep because they tried to get people to I think it was not think about red buses or something and so the connection to sleep is that if you obviously lie there going I must get to sleep must get to sleep you're actually much less like everyone knows that anyway but I think that's so (laughs) true you know when you have an early start or you have you you have a baby you're like you're so desperate for that sleep that you almost sabotage yourself yeah Mm -hmm. that's so true so that's good advice. Um, any bad advice you feel like you got or, um, yeah, you were given? I don't think so. And I think I think that's the thing with advice is that what works what works for one person doesn't work for another. And I think that, to be honest, that's kind of what I wanted to do in my book was, was have so many different points of view and so many different, you know, experiences of, well, this worked for me that it's almost like the book equivalent of asking around all your friends like oh you know what do you do and you know like you know whether whether it's breastfeeding and it's like my baby's struggling to latch on and asking around your friends like you know what do you do and how do you sort this and if you ask enough people you will find some sort of solution that clicks in your head or that sounds like a good idea um and so I think with advice it's kind of the same that if you it's almost like within reason there's no bad advice it's just advice that wouldn't necessarily work for you or it doesn't sit with your values or whatever else um but you know just I don't know my granny's saying that we should put whiskey on their gums (laughs) when they're teething probably not the best advice hey who am I to judge you know (laughs) (laughs) they were drunk they're fine they were so happy (laughs) Yeah, of course. I think uh, you can kind of cherry pick, as you say, the bits of advice that feel right for you and your family and what works in terms of your setup, because we are all different. And, you know, that is not going to be there is not a one size fits all when it comes to to either children or advice. So I think that's really true. Having one baby feels very expensive let alone doubling it or in the case of multiples tripling or quadrupling you'd feel like you need to be Elon Musk or something but what what stuff do you really need to buy if you're having twins and what is your number one bit of twin kit apart from your lovely book of course apart from my lovely book yeah I mean I I do I do go through this in the book and there's there's a really helpful list in there of things that um, are really good to buy and and also, you know, a bit of advice on things that are good to buy new and things that you can pick up secondhand. Um, you know, there are, so much of this stuff gets used for a couple of months or you buy something. Like I remember buying those, uh, getting those bumbo seats because my eldest loved um, her bumbo seats. So I got two bumbo seats. And my twins hated them. And so they were probably used three times max. And so you have all of these people buying this stuff. It gets hardly used. 
And therefore, if you're buying secondhand, you can get some really brilliant, hardly used, excellent stuff, you know. So you don't have to be spending a fortune on kit. Um, And I would say that one of the biggest things to kind of think about if you're pregnant with twins is the kind of pram and buggy that you want. And, you know, you hear about some parents, whether they've got single um, babies or twins, going through maybe four, five, six prams. And it feels like some people treat them as like almost like cars, like upgrading. And, you know, I want one with, you know, this kind of, you know, these features. And I'm not that kind of person. Like, I just want to buy one that will see me from birth through to age three or whenever it is that you finally convince them that they should be walking to the shop rather than getting in the buggy. And um, Or you push them on a scooter. For me, it was exactly, exactly. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I've got all that to come, I tell you. Um, but for me, I think it was really about being practical and thinking because, you know, the kind of the two options twin buggy wise are the side by side or the sort of um, in line um, where one um, one baby's in front of the other. And really thinking practically, for me, it was a case of right, how big is our front door? We've, we, we live in a Victorian terrace with quite a narrow front door. I remember asking around, you know, other twin mums saying, what do you do? What do you do? And they'd be like, oh, we just leave the buggy in the porch. Okay, but we haven't got a porch. Or we just leave the buggy in the car boot. Okay, well, what if it's raining? And how do you get two small babies from the car into... uh, To me, I was just like, oh, this this all sounds too hard. So really thinking about, okay, am I going on the bus a lot? Therefore, I don't want one of those wide buggies that won't fit up to the narrow bus aisle. Um... What what is your lifestyle like? What are you going to be doing when you're out and about? Um, and for us, it was definitely better to get one of those narrower inline buggies, which we still use now. We still two and a half years on use the same one that we used from birth. Um, but again, looking for you know uh, by picking these up secondhand, so often usually there are local twin groups, and if you um, hook up with them. Um, they'll have usually a Facebook group that you can join and all the time you will be you will have twin mums and dads saying we're getting rid of our twin buggy have it for free because we've you know we've had brilliant use out of it and we want to kind of pass on the love or here it is for 100 quid and it's in really good nick so that would be my top piece of advice I would say is not necessarily rushing out to buy everything new from like John Lewis or wherever and spending a fortune just you know, try and see what you can get secondhand. Definitely. I think that's true across the board as well. And, you know, um, and I love that idea of sharing things or things that have this kind of history, particularly with pals, I guess, but also just, you know, people in like local vicinity too, you know, that, that, um, it sees through babyhoods, which is probably why my mum still has her ancient silver cross. It's literally must be like 40 years old, whatever <laughs> she used it for my sister. And um, yeah, which is super cool if you're a hipster, but it's not very practical. <laughs> <laughs> I think as well, it's really nice if you do tap into the secondhand market because then you meet more multiple parents who have been through it. Yes. And so you've instantly got that bit of support. You know, I know a lot of my clients who have ended up, you know, staying in touch because they've bought stuff off a twin mum who's got older children but they've then stayed in touch with them which is lovely Um, and I also had in fact this will be 10 years ago now because I was pregnant with Harry a twin mum that I worked for who um, had gone to 
well-known retailer announcing that she was expecting twins and they gave her this amazing gift list and she bought absolutely everything on it and then I went round to set up the nursery with her and in one day we returned almost £2,000 worth of stuff (gasps) because you do not need any of this like you've literally been conned into just yeah you need two of this you need two of that and oh it was just ridiculous absolutely insane so yeah don't rush out and buy two of everything (laughs) I think I saw you you'd said that somewhere Alison about you know you do not have to buy two of everything because you can kind of you know say like the jumper or (laughs) the that that um what did I see someone calling it the circle of neglect (laughs) (laughs) I love that thing. So, you know, absolutely zero judgment here. But yeah, you, you can put one twin in, in in it and the other twin can be doing something else. You know, you don't exactly. have to. Have. I, mean, I, I mean, who lives in a house big enough for two jumperoos? I mean, oh really, God. you know, we... <laughs> who lives in a house big enough for one jumperoo? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, we still had the jumperoo from when my eldest was a, was a, a baby. Um, and we've actually only just recently got rid of it. I put it on Facebook for free and so- someone came around and collected it. So I really felt like it's probably a bit grimy and a bit, you know, like <laughs> it's been used by you know, not just my three children, but also we'd lent it out to other, you know, friends who'd had babies. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you do not need to buy two jumperoos. You do not need to buy two, you know, of loads of things. I think the only thing that we had two of was those um, baby bouncers, you know, the little gentle chairs that they can, yeah, because yeah. I would literally sit there with one foot on each, like drinking my cup of tea, bouncing each of them gently, <laughs> rocking them off to sleep while watching like Gilmore Girls or something. Like to me, that was like the ultimate twin mum hack. I was just like, it was so worth buying two of these baby bouncers. And really strong but, toes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell you what, the, the workout they were getting. So good. So good. Awesome. Thank you so much. We loved having you on. You're welcome. No, thank you, guys. It's been really good. And I'm excited about your book. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> After I had my daughter and experienced how hard parenting is I did look at twin parents with a whole newfound respect basically you guys are the bomb (laughs) so if you are expecting twins go and find Alison's book oh my god it's twins omg it's twins uh, out 4th of March is that right it is yes can't wait what's next for you I mean writing a book in lockdown is pretty awesome yeah I have other plans this year <laughs> that was that was that was pretty that was that was intense um I, what's next for me so my podcast is coming back for another season and I have got some brilliant guests signed up like Jodie Brearley from Pregnant and Screwed and um Holly McNish the amazing poet um and so yeah that's going to be coming back um at some point this spring and yeah just more of the same really just me chatting on social media about motherhood even when you're talking about you know deep stuff there's always that that level of kind of joy I guess and I think that's that's really lovely (laughs) even deep stuff can be joyful I mean you know because I think that is kind of well that is parenthood isn't it really that even those really really rough times are often tinged with 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 some loveliness so yeah that's so true as ever if you need baby sleep help we've got loads of episodes on our feed and i feel like having done this podcast maybe we need to do one about multiple baby sleep sarah what do you reckon i think after the um q a last friday we definitely should there was quite a lot of multiple mummies and daddies on there so um yeah i think i think it would be a good thing 
We'd love it if you subscribed to our pod, wrote us a review and came and find us on social media. We're at Sleep Mums on Facebook and on Instagram. Look after yourselves and sleep soon. <laughs>